The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.10, it is Tuesday, September 2nd, and we thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. Tonight we bring you an interview with David McGowan of the American Petroleum Institute regarding an energy hearing about energy regulations. In addition, we sat down with Wayne Weingarten of the Pacific Research Institute to discuss his new study concentrating on the economic efficiency of energy and how North Carolina is way down at 42 and finally, a look into NC State's new brand that will be rolling out shortly. But first, let's get our news. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle. A brief rundown of the latest news. Upon her arrival in Bahrain on Sunday, August 31st, Mariam Al-Khawaja, a prominent human rights activist in the country, was arrested on charges of insulting the king, assaulting police officers, and involvement with the rights campaign Wanted for Justice. Kawaja op- updated her status on Twitter, stating that she would be held for seven days before her interrogation and was not allowed to see a lawyer before it. Bahrain has experienced outbreaks of protests since 2011, led by the population-majority Shia Muslims who were inspired by the Arab Spring, creating heavy political instability. The protests themselves call for attention to the political and economic marginalization of the group, which the Bahraini government denies. The government claims it has taken steps to address the problems. Bahraini authorities, though, currently have no comment on Kawaja's arrest. After Beijing denied demands on Sunday, August 31st, by pro-democracy activists in Hong Kong to choose their own leader in the elections coming in two years, the activists responded by protesting the decision the next day during a broadcasted venue. Despite the protests remaining peaceful, Hong Kong police responded with what was what appeared to be pepper spray to disperse the protesters. The protesters had stormed the checkpoint to demonstrate. A separate pro-democracy group heckled the speaker until the meeting and speech was suspended, then unrolling a banner proclaiming their dissatisfaction with the central government in China. Though the China's National People's Congress has promised Hong Kong's ability to elect its next chief executive by popular vote in 2017, it's now specifying its right to choose the candidates out of fear of a leader disloyal to the mainland being elected. Activists have promised an era of civil disobedience in response to the verdict. Despite Russia denying allegations that troops and equipment were, in, were sent into Ukraine, the country's president, Pedro Poroshenko, accused Russia of direct and open aggression on Monday, September 1st. This came on the same day as Ukrainian officials retreated from pro-Russian rebels at a strategic eastern airport in Luhansk, the second largest rebel-held city. The poll is blamed on professional artillery gunmen from Russia that intensified the assaults of the rebels. A new front has also been created along Ukraine's southeast coast after Ukraine nearly managed to end the revolt, reigniting the nearly four-month-old rebellion that started after a pro-Moscow president was voted out of office. During a second peace talk in Minsk, Belarus, the first taking place in July, between Russia and Ukraine, aims for hopeful unconditional ceasefire. 
The separatists' main priority amidst the attempted negotiations is to gain recognition for independence in eastern Ukraine. After not being paid for two months, health workers fighting the Ebola virus in Liberia went on strike Tuesday, September 2nd. The healthcare system in Western Africa, already spread thin, is hindered even further by the loss of employees trying to combat the outbreak. Thus far, Ebola has infected as many as 20,000 people and has resulted in 1,552 deaths, the most fatalities to date for the virus. 122 worth health workers, nearly a tenth of the total number of victims, have been infected and killed while p- providing aid. Part of the responsibility for their deaths can be attributed to the shortages of trained staff and equipment the workers had access to. To add to the striking workers' hardships, restrictions on movement of the population in affected areas has led to panicked buying, food shortages, and price hikes. Back to you, Nick. Thanks, Sydney. And now we have an interview brought to us by our contributor, Michaela, about energy regulations and how they may change in the near future. Here she is with David McGowan of the American Petroleum Institute. Okay, so what is the what is the name of the hearing that you're going to be going to? Well, the, the first hearing was yesterday uh, here in Raleigh at the McKinley Center at North Carolina State University. The first in a series of four hearings held by the North Carolina Mining and Energy Commission uh, to receive public comments on the proposed rules to regulate hydraulic fracturing in the state. Did you attend these? Uh, I did attend the hearing yesterday and uh, both, uh, submitted oral comments during the, uh, the comment period and then we'll also be submitting uh, written comments by the September 30th deadline. You said that it was going to be regulating hydraulic fracturing and what else? Well, it's, it's regulating really oil and gas, oil and natural gas development here in the state, but specifically hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling. So what kind of regulations were spoken about or were talked about or might be implemented? Well, there's a series of 120 rules that the North Carolina Mining and Energy Commission has written over the past two years uh, to, to regulate this process. And those rules address everything from setback distances to chemical disclosure uh, provisions to uh, well construction to uh, wastewater management to well water testing and surface water testing. There's an extensive list of issues that these rules address. So how, how are these regulations going to be affecting the people here specifically in North Carolina or at the university or in Raleigh? Well, th- these rules will regulate oil and natural gas development here in the state, which provides the state with a, a tremendous opportunity, um, both economically as, as well as uh, to, to increase employment here in the state. Over the, the 20-year development period, that's expected here in North Carolina, we have the ability to create about 1,500 jobs a year, about $158 million in spending a year, and, and approximately $9.6 million in local and state uh, revenues uh, annually as a result of the oil and natural gas industry. So we've got a great opportunity here in North Carolina to pursue the domestic energy resources that lie beneath the, the ground here in our state and to ensure that we've got energy security both for our state and for our nation as well as to help provide for lower energy prices for consumers already shale development across the united states has contributed to about twelve hundred dollars in additional disposable income for the nation's consumers as a result of lower energy how much do you think that this network is going to grow well i think it's it's going to to grow 
substantially here in North Carolina. It's, it's a new industry for our state. There's about 35 other states that currently allow hydraulic fracturing, um, and there's been many success stories as a result of that. You look at states like Pennsylvania and North Dakota and Texas, their economies are thriving, uh, and uh, that's in large part due to the, the safe and responsible exploration of, of oil and natural gas in those areas. So it'll be beneficial economically, but will it be harmful environmentally? Well, if you look at what the EPA has said, um, EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy has said that hydraulic fracturing can be done safely and is being done safely across the country. It's a 65-year-old technology that is... Uh, has been used to produce oil and natural gas from over a million wells during that time. Uh, and again, the EPA has said that there's not one incidence of groundwater contamination as a result of the hydraulic fracturing process during that time. So uh, it can be done safely. It, it is being done safely in other areas of the country, and that's why it's so important that the Mining and Energy Commission rules that they have written be robust, and, and I believe they are, uh, and, and to ensure that we can do that safely here in North Carolina as well. What kind of improvements can be made on hydraulic fracturing to make it even more safe, even more beneficial? Well, technology is always improving and processes are always improving and regulations are always improving along with that. And um, all of those things are based in, in fact and based in science. And, and that's what's important to understand is, is there's a tremendous amount of research and science that goes into ensuring that these processes are done safely and, and that they protect the environment and protect the public health. So that's exactly what we're, we're trying to do here in North Carolina, exactly what the Mining and Energy Commission is trying to do with the, the 120 rules that they've written. And I, I foresee that as is being done in other states, this, this will, will be done safely and responsibly here, and it will lead to tremendous economic benefits for our state. Alrighty. What um, I might have already asked this, but just for my own clarification, what kind of regulations were put in place or are put in place? There's 120 regulations that they've they've written to to govern this process. Uh, they've been able to take the best examples from other states that have gone before us and and perhaps incorporate lessons learned in those states as well. Um, and they've they've done they've used that to. To craft uh, again 120 regulations that deal with everything from the setback distances that wells would have to be from occupied dwellings, from water sources. In addition, uh, they've drafted rules to, to govern waste management issues, chemical disclosure issues, uh, wastewater management, water testing, both for well water and surface water. So there's an extensive list of uh, regulations that have been drafted and are currently out for public comment. Do you think that there is maybe a better way to attain this energy security that you were talking about, or if there are other ways to attain this energy security? As we've seen here over the last five years, and, and particularly in, in the United States, we're experiencing a, a domestic energy revolution. The, the United States is now the world's largest producer of natural gas, and we are soon to be the world's largest producer of oil right here in the United States. And so that means less reliance on foreign sources for that energy, sometimes foreign sources uh, in foreign countries who don't always share the same interests that we do. And so it's critically important from a national security standpoint. It's important from an energy security standpoint. And that's really the oil and natural gas industry over the last five years is, is responsible for that. And so... 
Um, anytime that we can produce our own energy here at home, whether it's oil and natural gas or whether it's renewable energy or other forms of energy, then we're better served uh, by doing that. All right, so you said earlier that we are getting ready to be one of the largest producers of oil, and we are one of the largest producers of, of energy in general. So why do you think that there is this huge stigma that we are very reliant on foreign oil and energy? Well, for, for years we, we have been very reliant on foreign sources of energy, oil and natural gas primarily, but others as well. And, and over the last five years, as a result of hydraulic fracturing, and primarily, um, we've been able to produce more of that here at home, and, and that's led to this energy renaissance here that's excuse me, providing for jobs, providing for revenue for state and local governments, and, and obviously providing for cheaper energy prices for our consumers here at home. And so um, there's tremendous benefits from all of that. Uh, and, and that's what we need to continue doing is, is to ensure that we can produce our own energy uh, here at home and, and not have to rely on, on other countries to, to do that for us. I don't have any other questions for you. Do you have anything else that you would like to add? No, Juan, just thank you very much for your time and the opportunity to speak with you today. All right. Thank you for calling in. Thank you, Michaela, for that excellent interview. NC State has been working on a brand refresh for our university, and the changes will soon be taking everyone here by storm. Have a listen to some of the changes you can expect. All right. So, my name is Nick Savage. I'm here in close production with... I have to, I have to introduce myself. Introduce really? yourself. Go for it. Well... All right, cool. So, I kind of want to share a little bit of um, something that I learned uh, on Friday, and that's a part of the brand refresh training, which is an opportunity I had to go through NC State Communications, and it was essentially like a uh, hour and a half presentation about a brand refresh that the university is trying to launch, and I was really confused as to what that meant before going, but it seems to be a lot more clearer to me now, and I kind of want to tell you a little bit about it. So, um, just to start off with, the university wants to define itself accurately um, and consistently to all of the people that it represents and to all the people that are going to be, you know, reading university publications, going on to the website, um, seeing all these different places where you can learn about NC State. Sure. So um, I guess one of the most recognizable or easily visible um, evidences of this brand refresh would be the new ncsu.edu, yeah. which you may have seen. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that reflects more of the move towards a mobile-friendly platform, um, something that is more common amongst different devices. Uh, whereas maybe the old NC State or NCSU.edu was harder to navigate with a small screen or something like that. Sure. They, do you think they've simplified it in in, in the effort to make it mobile friendly? If the more you cut out, the the easier it is to read on a smaller screen, especially. It certainly looks. Um, just at a glance, right now, it looks to be pretty simple. And another one of the big things that we'll start seeing is this um, refresh of the logo and. There are a lot of different logos that exist for NC State right now. You've got the Block S. You've got this, uh, what's referred to as the brick, in that it's just a, a, a rectangle saying NC State University on it. Um, there was the, I don't know if you remember, the Bell Tower logo that was uh, two-tone sure. launched last year for the 125 celebrations. With the full Bell Tower and just the, That's right. the top. Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways that the university is portrayed to, um, essentially, to the public, and that's what they wanted kind of... The idea is to bring that, try and go through that and just bring one essential identity to 
to represent everyone in the university. Rain it in. Mm -hmm. And I learned some really interesting things about how they went about starting this. This seems like, um, you know, there may be some people in offices somewhere that said, we need a nice logo. And, and it sounds all good and well, but um, a lot of what this has to do is how the university interacts with the public. And so naturally, as I learned, um, the process of developing this, uh, not so much new, but um, refined brand is interviewing a lot of people in the public and doing a lot of phone call surveys and um, just really trying to find out what the identity is um, that people think we are and what, how that differs from what we think we are hmm. and trying to bring that together. So what I thought was really interesting was they took, it was this was months, months and months and months of research and data analysis. They looked at um, email surveys they did focus groups. They talked to government and business leaders. They did phone surveys. They analyzed it by all the data by the area of the state. They analyzed it by age range. And they really asked a lot of the questions that were really interesting to see the results of. And one of those would be, um, who's the best college in North Carolina? And what they learned was that in, in their phone surveys and in these focus groups, NC State is apparently number three. Hmm. Two, as, as I think we can assume, in UNC and Duke. Ugh. <laughs> Gross. That's uh. That was about, I guess, UNC with 35% of the vote, Duke with about 20%, and NC State with about 13 to 15% of the vote. So, yeah, so uh, there's, there's kind of a disparity in that area. But when you get to the question, which university would you be most likely to recommend to um, your friend, your, your niece, your nephew, your daughter, your children, your friend, your neighbor's kids, mm. NC State is number two, which is interesting. Behind. Behind UNC. Interesting. So we bumped Duke out. Right. In, <laughs> the, in Just in the phrasing of the question. Where people was then their, their close friends and relations. <laughs> right. Now, there was another um, part of the survey where they talked to people within the university and they tried to identify what exactly our identity is. And essentially, you would go out and ask, you know, what does NC State stand for? And that's a very vague question. And you get a lot of different types of answers. But what they found is there wasn't very many answers that incorporated a certain sense of pride in the university. Um, there was a lot of, you know, oh, we're good at this. Oh, we're pretty good at that. But there was nothing like you might say, we're the best at this, or, you know, we're really a world leader in this, hmm. um, which is the case in certain areas, but it, it seems like that's not something that is commonly held by... We're somewhat an, an innovation-driven... Exactly. I mean, we were recognized by the president school. last year for, um, you know, being a, we now have a manufacturing hub here because we're such a center of, of business and, and research and education and all this coming together. Um, this really makes us a great, great location. But there's not a lot of people at the university that will say, we're amazing, sure. which is interesting. It's kind of a modesty factor, yeah. but you also do want to have Gotta that. Got to remain humble. Right. And just still strive to be the best. <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at it, actually. <laughs> so and one of the other things they asked were, what are some of NC State's top competitive advantages? And a lot of what they saw, um, both in the public and within NC State, is that we have a high academic quality at the university. Sure. A lot of people said that we have a good track record for getting kids jobs or getting them into graduate school. It's um, basically the goal of a school. Exactly. It's I mean, it's higher to, education I mean, is to, to do a well-rounded education. But right, end of the day, the you, idea is to get be employed into either further education or a job. Right. And then they also said that one of NC State's unique characteristics is the strategic collaboration between the research divisions we have here with local, not necessarily local, but companies that have local headquarters or lo mm. local offices. Yeah, I, I think we actively seek out partnerships. And that's really one of the things that they were uh, they focused on. I don't know if you've seen around campus a lot of the um, think and do as kind of the, the slogan or, or oh, a catchphrase. 
now that I yeah now that I um, yeah think they, about it like subconsciously yeah I've been hit with that yep it's been on a lot of banners hanging I don't know if you've seen them on like okay. light posts yep. um, yeah it's right here on our on our homepage it's, it's the first thing you see basically. NC State think and do watch the video so um, mm-hmm. you know think and do is really part of the big thing that they're saying and this reflects that in that university is about you know learning and educating and that's that's where the thinking comes in I believe and then what um, the presenters of this of this training were saying was that the do is really something that is a strength of NC State where we go out and get those collaborations with businesses and companies and we we mm. do this research portion and you know we have uh, sanitary pads being manufactured in, in Rwanda by banana fiber or we have uh, sweet potatoes growing with less water in Uganda and those, these are just real world applications being mm. researched right here at NC State so that's where I think they came up with that slogan think and do. I'm wondering why. Why was this important? What what does it change for them? Good question. A lot of what they want to deliver is consistency in how we're seen by the public. And that's vague, but it, it manifests in, in that with the different types of logos that we were just talking about. You mm-hmm. can you see the block S, you see the brick, you see this the bell tower thing. Um, and when you think about UNC, you think of the RAM and you think of that UNC with the letter, you know, the shaped mm-hmm. letters, mm-hmm. and those are the only two things you associate with that school, really. And the old well. Uh, that's a that's an image, say. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, you can think of that's the, the, they that use would that match like we use our bell tower. Right. Basically. So you can see a picture of the old well, or, or the, a picture of the bell tower, and those are analogous. You can think of the the shaped UNC letters as, say, the block S. Mm-hmm. But then we've got this NC State brick that really comes out of nowhere and doesn't really fit. Sure. What they're trying to do is make it consistent and. And, uh, I mean, we have Tuffy, the, the wolf, which would, I guess, mirror the, the ram. Right. Yeah, we've got a billion different wolf images now. Right. And, I mean, you have, even if you look all over campus, you get a lot of just different NC State branding thrown at you. So uh, through this brand refresh, I think what they're trying to do is to uh, call down the number of, of images that we send out there that represent NC State. And Because when you think about... For well, ours, that gets that people would recognize would, would be, the block, be the block S. S. Agreed, agreed. That's what you see on hats and on mm-hmm. t-shirts. Mostly tied with athletics. athletics exactly. Generally. And that, no, you know, no one else is going to recognize the significance of the bell tower. Yeah, the bell tower is something that state. exists. I mean, there's a lot of bell towers everywhere. Right. Um, right. So that's not necessarily unique to NC State. And that's why, yeah. so the one of the things that they were talking about during this training was how um, they went through each of these logos and thought about, you know, which one would be the best. And so we, you know, like you were just saying, the the block S is very identifiable. It's associated with the university, but mainly just with the athletics side of the university. That's right. And when you're talking to the deans of all the colleges and asking, what do you think should represent our university? This athletics associated logo is not necessarily the first thing that comes to yeah. mind. It's it's striking. It's memorable. But it's it very makes people singular think about football. Right. It's a very singular aspect of the university that is highlighted through it. Yeah. And so um, athletics is, is not the only people that had a say in this decision. And so there was a lot of a lot of um, gravity behind the whole, let's change it to the brick, this this rectangle that just says NC State or even NC State University. Which a lot of people know our, our campus is very <laughs> brick bricky. heavy. Right. Yeah. There was, so. there was a joke that was all the bricks are going to be reprinted with NC State on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was Part of the reason to make the Block S a less dominant logo, um, it's not going to disappear. The idea is to use the Block S as more of a identifier on and around campus, mm-hmm. uh, and less of a an identifier not, in publications. You're not out Block S. Exactly, oh, it's not going to be in emails. You're not going to see it 
on our website really as much on the homepage. Um, and that was largely in part because the people who are parts of these strategic collaborations with companies and in this research division kind of want to have more of a, a corporate and professional a feel profession. to our logo more than just the collegiate let block lettering. So the move to the brick was highlighted due to its professional and very, it's, uh, it's bland. It, admittedly, it's bland, <laughs> but it's an image that you don't necessarily need clarification in what it says because yeah. it's literally words. It's, it's, it's just <laughs> like, here's, that's our name. That's it. That's, here's some red. Now, to be fair, the specifics of this brick are something that designers and graphic designers will be um, swift to appreciate and that the color is very specific. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you've got your, um, the particular typeface that's used is another specific mm -hmm. um, that is uh, universe for those of you that are font-minded. Font fanatics. R it's, you could say that. the universe font. <laughs> so if you get, you know, the alumni newsletter or anything like, anything mailed by the official NC State Communications office, your, your, uh, it's going to be in, in these specific. Your bill. <laughs> probably. It's, it's got It'll a nice probably be the primary case. and secondary if you, fonts. If you get the letter <laughs> saying, you owe us money. Yeah. That, yeah Just appreciate how <laughs> they're sending it with a uniform they chose message. That, yep. It's going to be exactly the they same for everybody that sees it. Right. Um, <laughs> and one of the other things they liked about the specific brick is how versatile it is. Um, you can have the NC State University brick and... What they were talking about is having, for each of the colleges, you just put College of Veterinary Medicine or College of Natural Resources or... Sure. Um, and I'm not... Be a bigger brick. College. Well, it wouldn't be part of the brick. It would just be um, adjacent to the brick in any sense. I see. I see. So it could off be... Off to the right. It could be off to the right. It could be below it, depending on how you choose to use it for your specific publication. And there's examples of this all on their, uh, on their website. Where is it? Um, if you go to brand.ncsu.edu... You can read a lot of nice things and then see a lot of good examples about um, what this new brand refresh entails. And they got nice downloads um, if you wanted to download Letterhead or something like that. Um, cool. Yeah, so I think that's pretty cool. Now, another interesting aspect that they were talking about with this using the brick and using these different um, colleges and departments with it mm -hmm. is that you get something like the Pool College of Management. Mm -hmm. And that's somebody's name. Yeah. And... Now, when the Pool College of Management wants to brand themselves, it has, it doesn't necessarily have to, but it will be underneath this, along with the brick. The it'll say NC State University, it'll yeah. say Pool College of Management. Um, and then, now there's this person's name directly associated with the university in a university publication. Um, it, it would be similar with something like the Jenkins MBA. If you're going to talk about this program, you wanted, you're going to use the NC State brick and you're going to write Jenkins MBA. Interesting. And that was something that was addressed was um, buying yourself into the brand of NC State by oh, way of... Spend these, a lot of money. And, well, yeah, exactly. And they'll, you'll perpetually be in this... The You'll be part of the brand. Right. And that was something that was touched on as it may be brought up as a negative, but the university is quick to say, you know what? If you give us $50 million, sure. You can be associated yeah. with our university forever. Yeah. yeah, we don't care. Exactly. So the encouragement of these exactly sure. <laughs> to associate uh, 
to encourage you know these giant giant donations um if if all your goal is to be associated with the university's brand by all sure. means go for it nobody's yeah. gonna nobody's gonna stop you from that so yeah that was i thought that was something that was that really was an interesting. interesting point yeah now another another point is that part of this brick um you may notice it says nc state university it doesn't say north carolina state university it doesn't say ncsu um it says nc state university uh, or it could just simply say NC State, and mm. that was something that was also a decision. Was that, which is what everyone calls us. exactly. We have to be distinguished as yeah as that. But there's definitely that, the option to, us. if they wanted to, they could have changed it to NCSU. Sure. They could have made us North Carolina State University at Raleigh. North Carolina if they wanted to. SU. They could. I mean, there's any number of combinations. So, with this new. Uh, the choice of NC State being our specific identity mm-hmm. comes the question of what happens to NCSU.edu. Who cares? Uh, but essentially, the idea was brought up that one day the website may change to NC State.edu. But what they want to do is make it the, part of this whole brand shift or b- this brand refresh Getting is to make it variety. consistent, yeah. super super consistent. And having something like ncsu.edu is less consistent hmm. than they would like. So it was brought up. I'm not sure if it's going to ever end up happening because it's apparently extremely expensive. Oh, I would do not this. doubt that. Yeah. yeah. So lots of things Without to consider. Rebranding. Man, it costs, costs a lot. Apparently. Um. So... Along with this font, our typefaces, our color, our logo, um, you got there's a little bit of description about um, our voice and tone and how how one should speak. Yeah, exactly. How one should speak on on whatever publications and what kinds of language you want to use, and um, essentially it boils down to active voice and brevity. Sure. But um, there's a lot of nice little snippets and and how to speak properly about nc state on this brand.ncsu.edu is examples and all that stuff but um gets a little long-winded and if you want to hear more about the brand refresh for ncsu we have more on that go ahead and check out our extended version of this discussion online at blog.wknc.org this week we have another interview from Michaela, this time with Wayne Weingarten of the Pacific Research Institute regarding energy efficiency and North Carolina in particular. Here's her interview. My name is Wayne Weingarten. I'm a senior fellow in business and economics at the Pacific Research Institute. Uh, and thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem at all. So what kind of research do you do at the uh, Pacific Research Institute? I'm, I'm an economist by trade, and my, the areas that I look at are uh, budget, uh, fiscal policy, budget finances, uh, as well as uh, energy and uh, healthcare. Okay. So you have a new study out. What is all of that about? Our new study, which is a 50-state uh, index on energy regulations, and what we wanted to, to do is create an index that is solely looking at uh, economic criteria. Not that the economics are the uh, only issue, but that there's a lot of confusion in terms of what the economic trade-offs are. And we thought it was helpful if we say, okay, if we rank the state's regulations based on economic efficiency, and uh, you know, economic efficiency is you know, if you've got a certain amount of resources available to you, how can you get the most amount of output? Or, um, and, and so we thought, okay, 
we use that as a criterion, and so we can start understanding which regulations promote efficiency and which ones don't. And then from there, what we then want to just more casually look at is, and what are the consequences? And that's where uh, we think there's a, a lot more research is necessary to really start understanding the consequences from promoting economic inefficiency, which a lot of states are doing, including North Carolina. How exactly do they promote inefficiency? There's, I, there's a couple ways to think about it. One is not implementing uh, the right type of regulation. For instance, when you look at your electricity and where it comes from, some states, North Carolina is not one of them, uh, they'll promote regulations that allow consumers to choose who their retail electricity provider. That competition obviously brings a lot of innovation, it brings choice, you're not kind of uh, held hostage to that local monopolist. And so uh, those types of regulations that promote uh, retail choice very, very important. Other types of inefficiency, many states, uh, including North Carolina, will have what's called a renewable portfolio standard. And what that does is that forces utilities to use generally either solar or wind or uh, some other alternative energy source uh, as part of their mix. So they'll say that 20% of energy has to be produced by solar or by wind or by geothermal or, or whatever the alternative source is. And the problem with that is that in many instances, you're going to be forcing a utility to use a more expensive, less reliable source. So from an economic efficiency perspective, you're promoting inefficiency, not promoting efficiency. So there's an economic trade-off that you're making. So those are the types of issues that we looked at, and that was the, uh, what we wanted to achieve is kind of categorize those um, uh, regulations. And then when we looked at it, what you saw is that the states that promoted efficiency at the top states compared to the bottom states, there was a significant growth differential in terms of the economy, and that um, was found very interesting and we think it's worth uh, a great deal of more attention and research. Like North Carolina, right, you have uh, one power provider in each kind of local area, and you want your lights turned on, that's who you, know, you have to go to. In some states, and that's what we think is a better regulation, you can actually, oh, do, do I want to, you know, Provider A or provider B or provider C. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, more choice is better than less choice. Oftentimes, economic efficiency and environmental efficiency don't necessarily coincide. Is this one of those times? Not necessarily. Um, and, and we didn't get into environmental efficiency on purpose uh, to try to keep things clean. Um, that's probably an interesting choice of words there, right? Um, to kind of separate out the issues, not that they, they, they shouldn't be combined in the end, but the, the question is, uh, you, you see a lot uh, of uh, debates which people talk about, oh, we can force everyone to use this clean technology and create jobs. Well, if it was efficient to use those technologies, you wouldn't need to force people. They would naturally gravitate towards it. So when you're making someone make a choice, you're, you're, you're making a, an inefficiency, and that has consequences. Um, and there are trade-offs that need to be made, and so that's you know that that's a question. But that's something that needs to be thought through, and the economic costs need to be uh, recognized, and, and that's the purpose of the study. So, which regulations should be promoted here in North Carolina? Uh, one that that retail choice that would be fantastic. If North Carolina would uh, empower uh, retail choice. North Carolina has a lot of subsidies of green energy and uh, energy efficiency. Those types of subsidies, and and, and from an environmental perspective, uh, there's people who are pushing for it, 
from an economic perspective, you're promoting inefficiency. There's also uh, regulations that are called uh, decoupling, where in order to have the utilities have the incentive to promote energy efficiency, what they'll do is they'll say, okay, we're going to guarantee a certain amount of revenues for it's called utility decoupling. Well, um, and the problem with that is by guaranteeing money for the utility, you're guaranteeing that the consumer has to pay for it. So you as a consumer, when you save uh, electricity, when you do energy efficiency activities, uh, you're not actually seeing the benefit from it. The utility is. Well, that, that, that's not right. That's not enhancing consumer welfare. That's actually uh, diminishing the, the right incentive. So those programs should be removed. Those types of things where you're, you're actually distorting the prices between the alternative um, choices, the more of those regulations you, you remove, the greater efficiency you're going to be able to promote. Which regulations are in place right now? The, 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 the decoupling are in place right now. The, the subsidies are in place right now. All of those uh, would need to be uh, removed. The retail choice is not in place. That should be added. All of those things would help promote greater uh, economic efficiency in the energy sector in North Carolina. Do you have any suggestions for people here at NC State? To me, the, the best thing to do is to become informed and understand the trade-offs. Right? No, no, understand that you can't uh, force solar power, uh, you know, greater use of solar power, without knowing that you're going to be spending a lot more for electricity and having a lot less reliable electricity. And so there, there's trade-offs involved. Uh, and, and that's kind of the, the, the key thing. We're trying to raise the, the understanding of the economic consequences, the economic trade-offs are involved. Okay. Do you have anything else that you would like to add or anything else that you would like to discuss? I don't think so. You, you, I think you covered pretty much everything. Thank you for calling in. It's been yeah. a pleasure. No, thank you. It was, uh, well, it was definitely a pleasure. So uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you. You too. And thank you, Michaela. And this week, we'd like to add that the Hopscotch Music Festival is taking place this weekend in Raleigh. So if you'd like to see some really diverse types of music, Raleigh is the place to be this weekend. WKNC will also be hosting a free day party on Friday at Nice Price Books. That will be featuring several local bands, and there will be pizza. So that is a great reason to head on out. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know and tweet at us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on more local news. Also, be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Eye on the Triangle. We'd like to thank our international news correspondent, Sydney Bloom, and contributors Michaela and Dave. Well, that's all we have for now. Be sure to tune in next week and stay tuned for After Hours up next. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Dave Klemp. And I'm Nick Savage. Good night.